I want to start a new series today. And this series is, is simply titled The Presence. The Presence, the Presence of God. On one hand, it's a very, very, very simple sermon series title. On the other hand, uh, it's the most profound series title that could ever exist because of the topic, the presence of God. I want to share with you a little bit before we get into the actual message today. I want to share with you the journey that, that the Lord took me on personally over the last six months or so. And, and, and where we arrived at the starting point of this series uh, and what I believe to be in the next few weeks, I believe to be life-altering, life-changing for so many of us. I started to realize just in my day-to-day -day life and, and, and pastoring for so many years, I've pastored and mentoring you know, other, other younger pastors and church planners and just being a part of, of, of Christianity the way that I have since I was 16 years old. Um, I've noticed just a heaviness and a burden that just kind of came to me of the amount of defeated Christians. Defeated Christians. That's the only word I know how to describe it. Defeated Christians. Um, and it's not, a, it's not a stab. It's not a slant. I've walked in that. Just a struggling Christian. I don't mean that we're going through difficult situations. I don't mean that we're going through persecution. I don't mean that. I mean that there's just so many Christians that are just deeply struggling in life, in the depths of their heart, in their soul, in their mind. That there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of victory for so many Christians for lack of a better term. And I know that this may sound whatever, but just for the lack of a better term, I don't know another way to say it. It just seems like for so many people who attend church regularly that Christianity just doesn't seem to be working in their life. That there's, there's, there's no freedom. There, there's no victory. There's, there, we are being overpowered rather than, than overpowering. And... And as I started to just seek the Lord about this, the burden in this just grew strong in my heart and I just began to pray and I just began to seek the Lord and begin to study the word of God and just, just to go. And, and, and through this, the Lord brought me to um, a psalm. So, a lot, there was a lot, but there was one particular psalm, Psalm 24. I'm not gonna teach or preach that today. That will more than likely come into this series at some point, but, but I just wanna tell you the starting point is Psalm 24. And, and I, I, I began to study this psalm so strong, like just deeply. And I wound up, I knew weeks and weeks ago I was gonna preach this psalm at the men's retreat that we had a couple weeks ago in the mountains. And, and when I study the word of God, this is what I told the men, when I study, when I get, when I get drawn to something, I wanna know the, every ounce. I wanna know the depth of it. I don't wanna just read it. I want it to read me. I wanna study it. I wanna take it in. I wanna know what, what every part of God's word says about this thought process or this idea or this whatever it is. And, and I began to study and I was drawn to, uh, particularly, and I'll read these really fast. It's not gonna be up there. I just want you to see this Psalm 24 verses three through six. I was drawn to this. This is one of the more famous verses 
in scripture. But it says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. And I just begin to study and study and study, specifically verses four and five. Who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up their soul to emptiness, vanity, to idols, who doesn't live their life for the earth and for the culture and for the things of the world, who does not lay down their soul uh, to the temporary things in life and don't swear deceitfully. And, and I just studied through that and I went through that and I looked through everything from Genesis to Revelation on these ideas and I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And I was ready to preach at the men's retreat and I went up a couple days early and it was a Tuesday night and I was sitting out on the back porch of this little house way up on the t top of this mountain. And I was the only one there and I just started to, to pray and just think through these scriptures and through this message that I was about to preach. And then I just felt the spirit of God so strong. The presence of God just, just rested there in that moment. And I just began to cry and, and just under the weight of it. And, and I felt just this deep impression in the depths of my mind and my heart and my soul that everything that I had been studying in verse four and five, clean hands and a pure heart, uh, don't lift up our soul to idols and swearing deceitfully and being blessed by God and seeking the Lord, that all of these things, they were meaningless to the majority of people. That the things that I had written pages and pages and pages about, the things that I had formed different thoughts and different messages, the things that I had just laid out to study, that they were meaningless to the majority of people. They're meaningless to the majority of people because verses four and five and six, they are answers. They're answers to a question that David was asking. They're answers to a question that David was asking, but they're answers to a question that you and I are not asking. And so answers are only meaningful Answers only have an impact. Answers only have an effect if you care or desire about the question and the things of the question that is being asked. Let's be honest. One of the most annoying traits in a person is those people who feel compelled to answer questions you did not ask and to give you information that you care nothing for. Can I get an amen? And if you're like, that doesn't bother me, you're who we're talking about. <laughs> David was asking a question in verses four and five for the answers to those questions. David's question was, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? David's question was, who can be in the presence of God? Who can be in the presence of God? David deeply desired God. He deeply desired the presence of God. He wanted to be lost in the presence of God. David is famous throughout his Psalms for his heart being so open. He was, he was addicted to God. He wanted to be with God at all times. He wanted to be in the sanctuary. He wanted to be worshiping. He wanted to be in the presence of God. And so when he's asking this question, he's asking this question because he desires to be in the presence of God. 
and there are the vast majority of us, we do not have the desire to be in the presence of God. Therefore, we are not asking about who can be in the presence of God. So the answers to those questions are meaningless to most of us most of the time. The heart of, 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 of what, we, what we see in the life of David, who is a man after God's own heart, versus so much of our modern lives is that even Christians, now we're not talking about sinners, we're not talking about unbelievers, we're not talking about people who haven't put their faith in Jesus, we're talking about the church, that we have fallen in love with the things of God, but we have no love for God. We want God's things. We want his provision. Can I get an amen? We want his provision. Be honest. Oh, we want God to come through for us. Right? We, we want provision. We want guidance. We want direction. We want purpose. We want answered prayers. We want the things of God. We want miracles. We want healing. Man, do we want healing. We, we, want, we want to see the power of God. We want move. We want, we want a lot of things from God, but rarely is there a heart that just wants God, that just wants the presence of God, that just wants Jesus. And, and the truth is, 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 as I was going through this and studying over the last few weeks and months, the Lord has begun to do something deep in my heart and in my life and in the life of our team and some core people in the church. And I believe that God is in the process of altering the entire direction of this house and of this church, because this is an issue not just for us, not just for you, not just for me. This is an issue, I believe, of the modern generations that we have fallen out of love with God and fallen in love with the things of God. And that's the best case scenario. For so many people, we, we, we choose the, the part of the whole. We choose, we choose the things that, 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 that we focus on, on, on parts of Christianity rather than the whole of Christianity. And this is why for so many people, Christianity doesn't seem to work in their lives. What I mean by that is that there, there's entire churches and denominations and movements and lives that are built on the, the parts of the whole rather than the whole itself. Like, let me give you just an example just to quickly offend everybody and then we'll move on. Take faith. Now, faith is about as biblical as it gets. Faith is faith. Faith is important. Faith is faith. Is faith. faith in Christ is what saves us. Faith is, is faith. And you, can't, you can't get past faith. Faith is amazing. But faith is a part of the whole. Yet there are entire churches and denominations that have taken faith and they said, it's all about faith. It's all about getting more faith. It's all about you growing in your faith. It's all about you learning how to use faith. It's all about you gaining faith, learning how to use faith so that you can move the hand of God so that your faith can change the world around you. It is about faith. There's entire churches that are built on that theology. There's an old preacher of yesteryear. He's dead now. He's been dead a long time. But he said something, or I read something that he said years ago, and I've never forgotten it. He said, the quickest way to heresy is to take a part of Christianity and treat it like it's the whole. Meaning down, down every road where you take something that is not the main thing, you take something and then you make it the main thing. Even if it begins biblical, even if it begins good, what is at the end of that road is a false gospel. 
take the prosperity gospel. That began in the idea of God blessing you. But when you make it all about the blessing of God, God blessing you financially, God blessing you with your health, God blessing you, down the end of that road is one of the most dangerous false gospels that have ever existed. Take religion, Methodism of worship, systems of worship. This is what it looks like and this is what it is and this is, you come in and you go through the membership class and this is the clothes that you wear and this is the words that you say and these are the, the, the doctrines that you believe and you memorize and, and this is what you go and this, this is the levels and then there's a volunteer and then there's a deacon and then there's this and then there's that and, and at the height of this religious system are the, the pastors and the this and the that and people have given themselves over to that. And they've created the Methodism and the systems of, of religion, making it the, the whole, and it's not. It's a part. You take the part of anything, down the end of that is heresy, down the end of that road is a false gospel. And so you, you, you go down the line. There's thing after thing. I could stand up here and I could preach an entire message and we would run out of time by just naming the things that modern Christians have taken that are a part of Christianity. They started to treat it like the whole of Christianity, and at some point they left Christianity, and that's why it's not working in their life. So what is the whole of Christianity? What is the goal? I'm gonna say it in one sentence and one statement. For those who God created, to be saved by their faith in Jesus Christ so that they could be filled with the Spirit of God and have access to the presence of God where they will fall in love with God and worship him now and forever. That is the whole of Christianity. It's about being in the presence of God, falling in love with God, and worshiping him now and forever. Everything in scripture leads up to that or is an overflow out of that. Anything else besides that is gonna lead you to a place of unhealthiness. In worst case scenario, a false gospel. That is the whole of Christianity. That those who God created would be saved by their faith in Jesus Christ and the work that Jesus did on the cross so that you could be filled with his very living spirit so that you could have access to the presence of God where you would fall in love with God and then you would worship God in his presence now and forever. It is about the presence of God and nothing else. Nothing else. Everything leads up to that and everything else is an overflow out of that. Anything else, any other part that you make the whole, it may start off biblical, but you will leave the Bible quickly. And so I, 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 wanna, I wanna start this message. And no, I haven't started yet. That was all, that was just, that was for fun. I wanna read a Luke 10 and what I struggled with over the last few days is, is where to start this series because there's so much. And my, my greatest risk in, in this series will be me preaching the whole series in one message. And I'm doing everything in my power not to do that. 
But I'm gonna go to Luke 10. This is one of the most famed stories. Verse 38, this is one of the most famed stories in all of scripture. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this. If you read your Bible, you've read this. Uh, if you do devotionals, you've probably done a devotional on this. This is, this is a very well-known story. This is the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus. And I, I wanna read it to you, and then I wanna teach us some stuff in it. I struggle with the things that are so familiar because the, the curse of, of Christians is that they think they know everything and it starts young. Even when I read my Bible to my kids, I love Aubrey, oh, I love her. I've given her a lot of good traits and some bad ones. And one of the ones that I've passed down to her is that key knowledge is she knows everything. And I'll start to read it and she'll be like, dad, <laughs> No need, I already know this. And then she'll begin to tell it to me. She's not quite that, she didn't quite have the arrogance that I had growing up, but she's like, I already read this, I already know this. Almost like pass it, go on. I'm like, well, how about, you know, we just take a stab at it again. So my, um, there's a risk with familiarity. So my heart, my prayer of the last, especially the last two days has been that the Lord would bring a newness to this, that he would shape this. And I believe hopefully would change our perspective of this story because it is so deep and it is actually pretty controversial. Because Jesus makes a statement in here that we may not ever say we disagree with it, but our lives and our views would, would argue that we probably do. So let's read this like we've never read it before. This is Luke 10, 38. As they traveled along, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his message. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations to be made. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord replied, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. So I, wanna, I want us to teach us. I want to just dig into this word, and I want us to see the power of what is actually taking place and the, the, the word here that, that should revolutionize our lives and change our lives and alter most of our lives forever. I, I want to be really clear here that, that, that these two women, they know Jesus. These are followers of Jesus. We know this from, from several different points of Scripture, but Mary and Martha, they both know Jesus. They know Jesus well. This is not the first time Jesus has been in their home. This is not the first time they have interacted. Uh, their relationship is more famous than anybody else's in Scripture except maybe just the disciples themselves, the original 12 themselves. You can even tell by, by Martha's uh, comfortability with speaking to Jesus so casually that they know each other. And I, I know that in your word, there's an exclamation mark at, at the end of her statement where she says, tell her to help me. But in the Greek, it's like, tell her to help me. Like she's not, she's not respectfully coming in there, Messiah. Like she's like, bro, I'm working. Lazy's just sitting in there. Tell her to help me. That, that's the heart of it. That's the heart of it. So I, I point that out early on because I, I, I really need us to understand what this conversation is not about. 
This conversation is not about salvation. This conversation is about the connection that we have with Jesus inside of our salvation. These two women are followers of Jesus. They know Jesus extremely well. And, and, and she's welcoming Jesus into her home. And, and it says, they traveled uh, for a while. Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed into their home. Sister named Mary, she's sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to his message. Then verse 40, and I wanna spend a second on verse 40 because I want us to understand the weight of this life. I want us to understand the weight of what's happening. It says that Martha was distracted by all the preparations to be made. But I wanna take a second. I want us to be really honest with ourselves, okay? If, if they didn't say the word distracted, if the word distracted was not here, and we looked at this from our perspective, and we didn't know the end of the story, and we didn't know the context at which Jesus was gonna drive this conversation, we would not use the word distracted to describe Martha. In fact, we would use the exact opposite word. We would use the word focused because she was focused. She was focused on all the preparations. In the culture of this day, I mean, it's even like this now, but in the culture of this day, it was a significant thing to have somebody in your home, to share a meal with somebody. It was a big deal. It was a moment of intimacy. It was, the, it was kind of the climax of the day and the events. One of the greatest things that you could ever do with somebody is share a meal with them in this culture and in this day and age. And it's not just Jesus. There's the disciples are there. Other members of their family are there. This is probably a, a larger crowd than you realize that's sitting here. And there is a, a deep cultural responsibility to host them, to wash their feet when they get in, to prepare the place where they'll sit and conversate, to prepare the place where they'll eat and have dinner, to prepare the food, to do that, and then to clean up afterwards. All of this is, is a great responsibility. And even if it was just Jesus, this is still a great responsibility. There's still a lot of work to be done, but it's probably a lot more than that. And she's focused on those things. This is the thing that I need you to hear. And I wanna just go ahead right now, really fast, cut out the conversation that, that I don't wanna have. This is not talking about evil, wicked, bad things. This is not talking about even the idols of our hearts, right? This isn't talking about us, you know, choosing the career over Christ. This isn't talking about us, you know, having addictions and sinful struggles in our life. This isn't talking about us, you know, giving ourselves away to wicked things or foolish things. This isn't talking, that's a different conversation for a different day. That's not, this is, this is important things. And, and what I don't want you to think, yeah, Jesus, in just a minute, he's gonna rebuke her, but I need you to understand her sin here, her struggle here, what she's doing wrong is not that she's choosing wrong things, foolish things, wicked things, sinful things to do with her life. She's not, it's not about idolatry. It's not, it's not about sin struggle. It's not about lacking salvation. It's not about any of that. This is, this is Martha. She's focused on important things. The struggle is that she has deeply overvalued those things and deeply undervalued the son of the living God who's sitting in her living room. This is what we do. We stay focused on important things in this life. 
things that we have deeply overvalued. And we deeply undervalue Jesus, the presence of Jesus. We, we overvalue the temporary, even though they're important, temporary things in this life, and we undervalue the eternal things in this life. If, if they had not described, if scripture had not described this as distracted, we would have described it as focused and I would have hired her to work at the church. Because anytime I can find a hardworking person in this younger generation, I snatch them up because they're few and far between. We would have called her focused. We would have given her an award. We would have called her mother of the year, wife of the year. We would have, how does Diane do that? All her kids play on those traveling sports teams. They're all good. They've got scholarships. They've got this, they've got that. They got all this stuff. They're, they're living the dream. We would have looked at this and we would have said, dude, God, look, look how good she does. Look how good he does in his career. Look, look what he's doing. How does he manage all that stuff? How's, look at what all the things he's doing. Look at all the things that he's accomplishing. And so I, I wanna be really clear here. The, the struggle here is not that they've picked foolish things. It's not that they've picked bad things. It's not that they've picked wicked things. It's that they're overvaluing the things that are actually important but are temporary and undervaluing the things that are eternal. And so she, she grows frustrated. And this is really important, and I want you to hear me. This is really important. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. So I want you to make sure that we understand the question that she's actually asking because Jesus actually answers the question that she's asking. She says, do you not care, Jesus? That word literally means, it's a, it's a, is this not a cause of concern for you, Jesus? is the fact that I'm in here working and serving and Mary is in there just sitting at your feet. Is this situation not an object of concern to you, Jesus? So the question she's asking is, what are you concerned about? Is this not a concern to you? Is this not an object of worry for you? Is this not a, a, a cause of concern, Jesus? And simply his answer is, no, it's not. But what he does, and I need you to hear this, is he tells her what he is concerned about. So as we move into the next thing that Jesus says, I need you to listen with all your heart and I need you to open up and just be humble before the Lord because Jesus is gonna tell us what actually is an object of concern for him in our lives. And this is what he says. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord replied, you are worried and upset about many things. Now, I want you to hold on to that because this is a singular situation and she is struggling with this one situation where she needs help working. But Jesus does that thing that he does where he makes it way deeper, but way broader. And he speaks to the depths of her soul. And he says, now this little situation, this is just a symptom of what's going on in the depths of your soul. And he says, Martha, Martha, I need you to understand. No, it does not concern me that Mary is in here and that she's not helping you work. No, that is not an object of concern to me. What is an object of concern to me is that you are worried and you are upset about many things. 
That word worry, that's merminio, and it literally means a divided mind. Anytime that you see the word anxiety or anxiousness or worry in scripture in the New Testament, it's the word merminio and it means a divided mind. It, it means that there are things that you begin to focus on that if you weren't focused on these things, that if, if you didn't have merminio, then your mind would be whole and you would have peace. But that you begin to focus on something, worry about something, and it divides your mind and therefore a divided mind, you lack peace. That's why the, the, a whole mind is peace and a divided mind is anxiety. You're focused on something that divides your mind. And he says, now this is an object of concern because the thing that is dividing your mind is connected to the desires of your heart. So the things that you are worried about in your mind, the things that, that, that you are, are focusing on in your mind, the things that are causing what we might call an anxious feeling, the things that you are focused on in your mind, what causes a divided mind comes from the desires of your heart. And he says, it is an object of concern. I am concerned about you, Martha, that you are so worried your mind is so divided about so many different things because I know that in the depths of your heart, it comes from a desire. And when you have a divided mind, the weight of a divided mind over time causes a troubled heart. Because he uses two specific words, worry and what is translated upset, but it literally just means troubled. You are worried and troubled about many things. So there's this cycle where we have the desires of our heart that divide our mind, and a divided mind lacking peace over time creates a troubled heart and a heavy soul. And he looks into Martha's life, and he says, you are worried and troubled about so many different things. And then he makes one of the most controversial statements in history but there's only one thing that is necessary. And I love the way it says in the Greek, there's only one thing that is necessary, only one thing. So you may not realize in this moment how controversial of a statement that is, but that is incredibly controversial. There is only one thing that is necessary. There is only one thing that is needed. There is only one thing that is essential. That's it. There's one thing. Now, the reason why we would say focused is because we are looking at Martha's life and this situation from our perspective. Let's just be honest with ourselves. From an earthly, worldly, cultural perspective. But Jesus is looking at it from the only perspective that matters. Jesus is looking at it from the eternal perspective because he's looking at it and he knows how temporary the things of this life are. He knows how quick our life passes us by. He knows how valueless so much of what we value truly is. And he also knows how great and how powerful his presence truly is. Jesus hasn't died for it yet, but the reason this is such an object of concern for him 
is because he knows it's not much longer after this situation that he is gonna hang on a cross and he is gonna die. And you may think he died for your sins, but he didn't just die for your sins. Your sins had to be dealt with. He died so your sins could be forgiven so that you could have access to the presence of God. You were created for the presence of God and Jesus died so that you could be in the presence of God. So for Jesus, him sitting here in this moment and looking at Martha, caring about T-ball and caring about IRAs and caring about the politics and caring about the government and caring about the economy and caring about what's going on in China and Iran and caring about what's going on all this stuff and caring about what's going on with our friend group and caring about all the things that we give our souls over to, he says, this is an object of concern for me that I'm sitting in your house, that I'm sitting in your house, that I bled on a cross, that my flesh was torn, and that I had the weight of the sin of humanity put on me so that you could have access to the presence of God and you're spending every second of your life giving your soul away to the things of this world. No, it doesn't concern me that Mary's in here. It concerns me the way you're living your life. It concerns me that you think the trophies of this world and the financial stability of this world and, and putting meals on the table of this world and, and doing all the things that we're raised to. I don't wanna condemn us. Lord, we're raised this way and he knows it. We've been conditioned by this culture, even raised by our parents. It's about grades, it's about school, it's about education, it's about financial stability, it's about all these things. No, Jesus says it's not. It's about the presence of God. It's about being in the presence of God. He says there's only one thing that is necessary, one thing that is required, one thing that is essential in your life and in your day-to-day -day life. And he says, and that is my presence. And she's chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. Everything that happens to us in the presence of God cannot be unchanged. Every renewal that happens in our mind cannot be undone. Every healing of our soul that happens in the presence of God cannot be unhealed. Everything that we gain from his word while we're in his presence cannot be taken from us. Everything that truly matters happens in his presence, none of which can be taken from us. Everything that you will ever do, build, or achieve will be taken from you in death, if not sooner. And he says, so you, I, I really want you to understand what I'm concerned about, Martha. I'm concerned that I'm sitting in your living room and you have access to me, but you're giving your soul away to everything else. And you're doing it in the name of responsibility. You're doing it in the name of, this is the way I was raised. And you're doing it in the name of, well, if I don't work and put food on the table, who will? That's why Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and everything else will be added to you. We're doing it in the name of the American dream. We're doing it in the name of modern American Christianity. We're doing it in the name of everything else. But Jesus says, let me tell you something. There's only one thing that is necessary. One thing. And Mary chose that one thing. 
And what she gets sitting at my feet, lost in my presence, lost in my word, what she receives will never be taken from her. The joy that she receives, that'll not be taken from her. The temporary pleasure you get from the raise and the win and the victory, that means nothing. You know how I know that? Because I got a five-year-old son. He's a knife collector. He was a gnome collector last week. He's a knife collector now. He wanted this knife. He asked me for weeks for his first knife. Weeks. Daddy, he's an he's, he's addictive personality. I, I hope he gets saved so soon. Oh, he can't, he can't think. That's all he can think about, getting this knife. So finally, we, we went down to the old IGA. And we got him the knife. As God is my witness, we got in the car. We're not out of the parking lot. Daddy, did you see that green one? Can I come work at the church on Thursday and get $5? Because he does. He comes and fills the refrigerator up with caffeine for all of our team sometimes. We're now in the parking lot. Daddy, did, did you see the green one? He's holding the thing that he wanted. But Daddy, did you see the green one? This one meant nothing to him. As cute maybe as that is, that's the lostness of his soul. And that's the curse of every single person in this room. You were built, designed, created for the presence of God. And the only thing that will satisfy you in this life is the presence of God. Everything else you give your heart to everything else you do or achieve, even the good things, it will mean nothing to you in the long run. Jesus is actually saying something so controversial and it's so convicting. And I know that there are people in this room that feel convicted and I know that if you struggle with religion, you probably feel condemned and judged. Move the offense over to the side just for a second. I'm not condemning you, and neither is Jesus. What Jesus is doing is he's sharing with you what concerns him about the way you're living your life. And it is concerning that you are living your life this way. His heart is that you would fall in love with him. It concerns him because the divided mind exposes the desires of your heart and exposes what you really love. See, Mary loved Jesus. Mary wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. Mary wanted the words of Jesus in her hearts and in her mind. So she chose the good portion. Your salvation is free. It is given to you. You are given access 
within your salvation to the presence of God. And the fundamental thing Jesus is teaching us is that every day when we wake up, we will make a decision. We will, we will choose the presence of God, the good portion, or we will choose the things of this earth. And I, I, I don't wanna get into later messages, but what I want you to understand is that we have a genuine, literal, real access to the presence of God. Not a philosophical connection, not some ideology. I'm talking about the presence of God. You can't see him with your eyes, but you can feel him. When you enter into a room and you close the door behind you and your heart is shifted over to the king of glory, there is a presence that comes into the room that is as real as anything else on this earth. In fact, it's more real than anything else on this earth. And this is what Jesus died to give us access to. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna not condemn. If the spirit brings conviction, I pray that you heed it. But I, I, want, I wanna end this message the same way Jesus ended this message. It is concerning that you live under the blood of Jesus Christ and wake up every single day and choose anything else other than him. That is concerning. And there is a power, there is a blessing, there is joy, there is peace in the presence of God that you have access to right here, right now, today. And within that presence, in the reality of that presence, you can fall in love with him as you get to know him deeper and deeper. And he becomes so real to you. Your whole life will change. Your whole universe will change. See, the reason why Christianity doesn't work for a lot of Christians who go to church is because they don't understand the wholeness of what Christ really came to accomplish on the cross. And that is for those who were created by God to be saved by their faith in Jesus and the work of Jesus on the cross so that they could be filled with the Spirit of God and they could have access to the presence of God. So that in his presence, you could fall in love with him, which we will talk about in this series, and you could worship him now and forever. And so my heart for this first message is only that we could see together as a family what concerns Jesus about our life. And that hopefully I opened up in your mind that there is so much more to your relationship with Jesus than you probably realize. And there's so much goodness and power that we can walk into today. 
And so as I end this message, I want us to pray. And I want us to pray that the Lord will grip our hearts, our souls, our minds. And that together, over the next few weeks, that we could dig deep into this idea of true Christianity, the wholeness of Christianity. And we could redefine the relationship that we actually have with him. Amen.